0: Join the big show Friday from 3 to 6 at the Warehouse, 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. Time right now to talk a little USF BYU football with Matt Merchell, National College football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He covers USF. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Matt, good morning. Good
1: morning. How are you guys doing today?
0: We're doing all right. So we're trying to follow South Florida and figure out how good they are. You see them a lot more than we do. How good are they?
1: Uh, well, it's it's definitely been a, an interesting year. I think these two teams going into this week are, are very similar, uh, how things have kind of gone in, in a way. You know, USF came into the season a lot of expectations. People thought they could contend. You know, uh, in the uh, American East, maybe possibly knock off UCF, uh, but things haven't started out that way. You know, I mean, and they've struggled. They've struggled offensively early on. They've struggled uh, trying to identify a quarterback. Uh, this is a team that now has a lot of que- more question marks than it did have going into the season. And and you know, they made a change at quarterback. They brought in a number two guy and freshman Jordan McLeod. And uh, they're trying to find ways to kind of bounce back after what was been a rough start. And I think, uh, to me, it, it, it's, it's a, uh, it was a difficult question to figure out just how good this team is. Because I don't think we've seen them play a, a really good game yet so far this season.
2: So last year they get off to a really good start, right? And their running back, uh, what's his name, Cronknight, he was averaging like yeah. seven plus yards a game. Then they go in the stretch where what was it? The last six they lose, and his production has been cut was cut in half. And then this year, what do they? They lose their first two. His production isn't nearly as good as it was in the beginning of last season. BYU struggled to stop the run. What's going on with? the the Bulls' running game, and what can we expect?
1: Well, I think that's been the the issue right now. You know, this is a team that I think was trying to figure out what kind of offense they wanted to be. You know, I know they brought in, you know, Kerwin Bell uh, to be their new offensive coordinator this year. You know, he did some good things over at Valdosta State, you know, an FCS school uh, where they were averaging over 50 points a game. And, you know, people thought this would be one of those dynamic type of offenses. It hasn't happened. And part of that's been that running game. You know, they haven't been able to get the running game going. Uh, They haven't been able to take advantage of... You know that ground game. I think the offensive line at points has has had some issues as well, and I think that's something that you know is definitely got to be concerned. Now, you look at what Cronkite did last week. You know he had over 20 carries for 148 yards. Looked like kind of a return to his his former self. I think that's got to be an encouraging sign for USF because that's something they need to have. They need to establish some sort of balance when it comes to offense. You know, I think they become one-dimensional, which they were. I think early on this season. I think you're not going to find very much success there. So I I think for them it's important that they get Kronkite going. It's important they continue to, you know, get their offense moving. You know, Johnny Ford was another guy who was supposed to be a dynamic playmaker out of the backfield uh, who could do, you know, not only just running the football but also catching it. Um, And he's been limited. He's been hurt and and, and hasn't really kind of performed to the way they thought. So, um, again, that's been a big question mark, but something they feel like maybe they can get a little bit of, of, you know, maybe some momentum going after last week against UConn.
0: So throwing a freshman quarterback in there with an iffy running game sounds like a a little bit of a roll of the dice. Just looking at Jordan McLeod's stats, uh, the completion percentage probably isn't what people are hoping for, but, man, he seems to make big plays, seven touchdown passes already, but four interceptions. Does he get baited into bad throws? He forced the ball. What's going on with him?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think that's the other thing. When When you're a true freshman, it's, it sometimes can be difficult. You know, you get into spots where you know make some good, make some great throws, and then you try to do a little bit too much. You know, and I think that's maybe what you saw a little bit about that. I mean, listen, you know, his his best performance, so to speak, was against you know an FCS school in South Carolina State. Uh, you know, and you look at the fact that you know against UConn, which is not really a, one of the better programs in the country. You know he's still through two interceptions. I think he's had some bad decision making along there as well. Uh, the one thing he does bring is he is he does have the ability to run the football as well. He does have some some mobility, and I think that's something that they've been able to take advantage of you I know mean, he's got three rushing touchdowns so far this season, I think that's something they'd like to bring in as well uh, again young quarterback, a guy who's going to have to go through some growing pains and some a guy that they hope maybe eventually will kind of calm down and and be able to step into that role it 's not probably how they wanted to. To throw him into the mix, I think they thought Blake Barnett was going to be the guy, based on what Blake did last year. But you know, with some injuries and the performance so far, they went with this move because they felt like he gives them maybe Jordan gives them maybe the best chance to to, to get the offense moving. And that's and that's been one of their weakest points, especially starting out, is that they just can't get this offense going. You saw their struggles in the first couple of weeks, you know, against Wisconsin and Georgia Tech. So as of right now, they, they they're playing a little bit better on offense, but there's always more room for improvement that's needed.
2: So they closed last season defensively, allowing an average of close to 40 points during the big losing streak. And some teams have put up some decent numbers against them this year. But BYU is going to start a quarterback who's even less experienced than the Bulls kid because, Jaron Hall, this is going to be his first start. And it's really his first playing time any of note, certainly, at quarterback. He's got a few snaps here and there. So I'm real intrigued on how the defense – Of South Florida is going to do. It hasn't been stellar, but yet they're going up against a quarterback that has no history whatsoever, which I guess maybe that could be a little bit dangerous for the Bulls not knowing what to expect. But should we expect a better defensive effort?
1: Yeah, I think what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to put pressure on him. I think they, they – it's almost like I said, you, you almost have like a mirror image of, of BYU in a sense if you're, if you're South Florida. You can look at the fact that you, know, you started a true freshman and you, know, you see what some of the struggles maybe he's had. And you could say, listen, we've got to try to do the same sort of thing. I will, I will say that I agree with you in the sense that when you bring in a new quarterback and a guy who doesn't have a lot of film you – know, we're not talking a lot of college film – it's going to be a little harder defensively. I think this defense is going to have to make adjustments as the game goes on because they're not sure exactly what they're going to get from them, and I think they need to go out and kind of take a look at them and, and see maybe what some of the things they're trying to do. They also want to see what BYU is going to try to do with them. I don't think they're going to go out there and throw the full array of, of, of offense you know, unless they feel like he can really kind of just grasp it and go out there and do it, so I think this is going to be kind of a learning on the go. I think if I'm South Florida, you obviously want to apply a lot of pressure. You want to make sure that you can get to get to the quarterback. You got to make sure you become disruptive. Uh, you know, one of the things they've done really well so far this season on defense is they've forced a lot of fumbles. They got to continue to try to strip the ball away. They've also got to try to make sure that they can get enough of of negative pressure, negative plays on him that maybe he'll throw an interception here or there. Maybe he'll get a little bit pressure too much and he'll throw a pick right there as well. So that's something they're hoping on. You know, they lead the American, you know, in, in turnovers uh, takeaways with 14. So they're a team that likes to be able to do that. So I think they want to continue that kind of trend try to force some mistakes early on, and then you know, try to take advantage of that. If you can get a mistake deep in, in, in territory you know, and flip the field quicker, I think that's going to be only good news for South Florida on their offense, especially with a younger guy in an offense that's trying to, to bounce back a little bit. So I think that's what they'd like to see happen, and they feel like they can do that. Plus the fact you look at the fact that BYU has issues with running the football as well. So if you can stop the run and force BYU to become one-dimensional, I think it only works in your favor.
0: Matt Michelle, join us. He's a national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He covers USF. They're hosting BYU this weekend. So you get two inexperienced quarterbacks out there. You can make their life harder by taking a penalty and putting them in terrible down and distance. But you can make their life easier with a penalty that extends the drive, gets them out of a third down, gets them a first down. South Florida averaging nine penalties a game. Has there been any particular trend, one area, you know, a lot of pass interference or a lot of procedural stuff? Because nine penalties is too many.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of it's procedural when you look at things. I think you look at the idea that, that, you know, again, an offense that's struggling – Sometimes guys try to do a little bit too much. Guys want to get little early jump on the thing, uh, jump on the ball. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I think this is a team. Like I said, this is what what's interesting about the South Florida team is this is a team that people thought would step right in and have enough experience to be able to take advantage of you know a, a lot of this and, and avoid these mistakes early on. But instead, it's been almost like a team that you're dealing with a whole new, a you know, whole new group of guys. And I think that's been the thing that stood out early on. And those penalties have definitely been something that's been a concern because. You know, you shouldn't have those when you've got experienced players, when you've got, you know, guys, upperclassmen who've played before. You shouldn't have those kind of penalties. I think some of that can be attributed, especially early on, to who they played. Wisconsin, obviously, is a great defense and obviously was able to take advantage of that. But as you got deeper into this, into this you know schedule, uh, there were opportunities there. They still made these kind of you know mistakes that you, you can't have, and I think that's put them back a little bit sometimes when it comes to field position and stalled some drives out as well. So I think that's got to be a concern. Uh, you know, if you're Charlie Strong, you have got to make sure you kind of avoid those penalties because those are things that are eventually going to come back to bite you, especially in close games. And, and they really haven't been you know in, in, in too many close games so far this year. I think maybe the Georgia Tech game is the closest, but. When you're in those close games, penalties can be the thing that can really condemn what you're trying to do.
2: So, Florida is a hotbed for recruiting. Everybody knows that it's one of the three states that's recognized as having great high school football. I'm wondering where does South Florida fit on the hierarchy and the scale for recruits in terms of what they would be interested within the state of Florida.
1: You know, South Florida's done a really good job. You know, one of the reasons that uh, you know because of that is the idea that. You know they've hired two coaches, the last two coaches they've had, Willie Taggart and Charlie Strong, both had deep ties to the state. You know, really had were were, were invested in the recruiting battles here um, in the state of Florida. You know, Charlie spent time. You know, one of his stops was at, you know, Florida, you know, when he was defensive coordinator. um, And I think that's kind of helped pay off for them. You know, they've been able to get some guys early on and establish some of those, you know, some of those connections, especially a lot with the high school coaches in here as well. He took that with him then when he went to Louisville. In fact, when he was at Louisville and had success, a good portion of his roster was made up of Florida kids. So he's been able to do that really well even when he got back to South Florida. Um, but it's as you mentioned, it's a hotbed state. It's a state where there's a lot of competition. I mean, not only you're competing with the big guys with Florida, Florida State and Miami, you know, but now you look at what UCF has been able to do with the success recently. Um, that's helped you know, that's put a lot more pressure into trying to go out there and recruit guys. I think, you know, what Charlie's tried to do is kind of lock down that Tampa area. Um, And maybe try to get a little bit down in the South Florida area as well. I think that's where you get some talent. They put together some great classes over the last couple of years. And you've seen some of that, you know, some of that payoff. I mean, you know, look at their class coming up in 2020, 16 of their, of their 17 commits are from the state of Florida. So he's, he's really out there trying to keep that going on, but as it gets harder and harder every year guys, because more and more, you know, programs across the country are diving into Florida to try to get some of this recruiting. That's why, Schools like you know, BYU and schools like some of the other programs around the country are scheduling games maybe to come down and play for in, in Florida because some of that is just kind of appeal and see what's going on there. Um, and I think they want to kind of get their name out there when we're looking at recruiting. So um, it, it's definitely got harder, and I think Charlie's done a, a relatively good job with, with doing that. Um, I think any coach they bring into that program, they've had to find someone who can recruit well because that's really the, the secret to success for when you're at a program like South Florida.
0: You know, if I said there were a half dozen schools, or programs across the country that always got mentioned when realignment and Power 5 opportunities came up, these would probably be two of the six. Do you hear anything? Is there anything brewing four to five years out? Do you have any level of expectations? Or is college football maybe just going to kind of sail along because everybody's making a lot of money and we're not going to have the upheaval we had last time?
1: Well, I think right. I haven't heard much right now. I mean, I think people are kind of in that spot where everything's kind of – you know, settle down a little bit. But, I mean, let's let's look around what's going on in, in college football right now, guys. I mean, college athletics in general, I mean, you're seeing, you know, a lot more going on in the sense of, of you know, uh, like really the pay-for-play issue that's going on in California, for instance. You know, I think there could be some changes going on there and um, how maybe the NCAA handles things. You're seeing, you know, Power 5 schools getting more and more, you know more and more money, you know, generated from not only just TV contracts but rights and, and online streaming and, and things like that. And I, I think the next round of the playoff is going to be interesting. You know, when the next the contract is up in 2024, 2025, it'll be interesting to see you know how much money is, is being generated. And I think if a if a conference wanted to make a, a play or expand, um, you know, you mentioned it. You know, I mean BYU's always thrown out there. I think South Florida's been mentioned. UCF, um, some of these programs maybe that they, they can bring in. Uh, big viewership television eyes that can bring in you know the the recruiting areas we talked about earlier I mean you can get those kind of you know, areas brought in there so I haven't heard any big move right now, but again, you know when, when it comes down to money and if there's opportunities to make more money uh, it'll be interesting I think the traditional way of T V with the T V deals that they've been, I think those are gonna change. I think you're gonna see more and more about this idea of streaming and where can you get some of this content that can be online. And it'll be interesting to see if, if a conference like a Big Twelve or, or someone else really wants to expand and they think, Well, you know, we could go to maybe a, a another division, you know, maybe like a, a sixty five top teams. Kind of like the Power Five breaking off a little bit. and Maybe they want to add a couple teams. So I haven't heard that movement just yet. But, I mean, again, there's so much money involved in college athletics and college football. I mean, eventually you think someone's going to probably float that idea once again. Is Florida legitimate? Yeah. Florida, the Gators? Yeah, the Gators are legitimate. The Gators are playing um, some of the best football I've seen them play. And, listen, this is two or three years ago. This is a program that I kind of felt like really kind of fell – fell to the wayside when, you know, when they weren't playing good football at that point. I think Dan Mullen's done an amazing job. I think this is one of the best defenses I've seen, that maybe since the Urban Meyer days. Um, and I think you saw a little bit of that against you know, Auburn. I mean, I don't think Auburn was as good as people thought they were, but they played, you know, Florida's played really good defense. I think this weekend, to me, they get past LSU this, this weekend. I think Florida really can make a case for being the, one of the top four best teams in the country because I think they've played the type of schedule they're going to play a future schedule as well with Georgia maybe down the road that they can continue to make that case now if they lose you know again I still think they're a top 10 team I, I'm just not sure if they can bounce back from, unless they somehow win the SEC
0: so why can't Miami and Florida State do what Florida's doing and keep waiting for them to rebound it seems like they ought to but they don't
1: yeah you know I, I mean again I, I think some of that is, is just catching up you know I think in some cases I think you look at what Florida State has tried to do um, you know they, I think that you know the transition from, from from you know Jimbo Fisher to Willie Taggart was it was a difficult one. It's at, at times. Um, I think Florida State is trying to you know raise money. You know when it comes to facilities, they're trying to get better facilities. Um, I think when it comes to recruiting in the area they 're trying to improve on that that 's one of the reasons why Willie was brought in because he had really strong recruiting ties to florida they 're trying to continue to do that um, and, and I also think in miami 's case, again, you talk about coaching turmoil They talk about guys coming in you know Mark Rick did a, a pretty decent job his first couple of years there, but they 're trying to catch up as well. They just built a year ago their first indoor practice facility and and, and it took them you know essentially you know. Fundraising, where the coach himself put a million dollars in to build the place. So, uh, this is these are programs right now. They're trying to catch up. They feel like the ACC network, for instance, will help generate some more revenue, which help maybe get these programs up there as well. So, um, it's going to happen. I just think, you know, again, you know, football is cyclical, and I think at some point you're going to have downtimes. And I think these two programs are trying to find a way up. They have to because they can't let Florida get too big of a gap ahead of them.
0: He's Matt Merchelle. He's a National College football writer for the Orlando Sentinel covering USF. Matt, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care.